Hey, listener, we would love it if you could take a quick moment to give our podcast a review on iTunes, Spotify, or leave us a message on our Facebook or LinkedIn pages. Welcome to the Our Community Listens podcast. My name is Adam Salgut, and with me today is Sarah Weisbarth, Leader of Curriculum Improvement and Development. Sarah, how are you doing today? My answer is I'm always doing well, Adam. Um, it does it does give me a little pause, though, to think about, am I really doing well? Because I feel like there's so much happening and so many stressors and so many things that I, I appreciate you asking the question so I can go, how, how am I really doing? I will say that I am happy to be here with you today and happy to talk about our topic matter. Well, I am also very happy to have you. It's uh, one of my favorite things, getting a chance to touch base with you on a biweekly basis at very minimum and share it with our listeners. Um, and speaking of listeners today, our topic is listening, which, as we know, is a key element in our community listens. As we step into this, I know we want to talk about what it means to listen. And we also want to talk about the things that get in the way of effective listening. Why don't you set the table a little bit more for what we're going to, what we're going to tackle today. Yeah. So I was reflecting on it this morning on my walk, knowing that our topic for the month is listening. We talk about listening as an organization a lot. Um, You know, it is, I don't know, our organization's name. We've We've taught the five reflective listening skills multiple times, and we've talked about reflective listening on our podcast multiple times. I actually went back through and like podcast number eight, one of our very early podcasts talked about the five reflective listening skills. And even like there's podcast 22, podcast number six, there's many refreshers about reflective listening and parenting. We talk about like how to reflectively listen. But there's some things that we first have to kind of commit to doing differently if we are going to be able to apply the five reflective listening skills. And that's what I think I want to talk about today as it relates to listening. So when you say about things we need to do differently, one of the things that pops into my head is, and I remember thinking about it when I first went through the class years ago, was eliminating all of the filler comments that people when they'd come to me with a problem or they'd come to me with just a story or an issue and then I'd immediately go to it's going to be okay I mean you could put it in quotations you could put it on a shirt I'd say that all the time it's generally because that's my outlook on life it's my outlook on things but the truth is when someone's coming to me that is not necessarily helpful I love that (laughs) I'm really just kind of reflecting because I'm appreciating your heart and wanting to assure people that I don't know how, but I'm sure it's going to be okay. And like my joke around here is like my very low bar for like things being horrible is like no one died. (laughs) (laughs) Not the end of the world. No one died. Right. Except for individuals when they are experiencing a problem, that's not a helpful comment. And it's the same thing. Like you're saying, it's not helpful to be like, well, I'm really sorry. You're struggling with that issue at work. It'll be fine. Right. 
I'm sorry you're, you're struggling with this personal issue in your life. It'll be okay. You'll be fine. We naturally, though, want to reassure people. We want to provide that comfort. And I, there's been multiple times where I've been upset about something and I'm sharing with my husband and he very kindly, I'm sure you've done this with your wife, say, says, it'll be okay. And in that moment, I go, how do you know it'll be okay? You don't know it'll be okay. Tell me how it'll be okay. And so then I'm almost even more um, out of my logic and emotion balance. And then I can't solve my own problem because I'm now reacting to him telling me it's going to be okay. <laughs> right. I, I say to Becky a lot, we'll figure it out. That That's in our relationship. It's kind of me saying it'll be okay, but the we'll figure it out. And I know that doesn't necessarily help balance her out or get it to a point because she needs to process things a little bit differently than I do. We've talked about that before. Yeah. You just like totally gave me a light bulb because I say that all the time. <laughs> and I never really thought about that being almost dismissive. And I don't think that's really anyone's intent. Right. But when someone's come to me with a problem, what they really need me to do first is just listen and reflect back that their experience of their problem is very real. Right. And I think that can be easily skipped. And that's what we're talking about today. The idea that we can easily skip this idea of reflecting back or just acknowledging because we may think saying it'll be okay or we'll figure it out is acknowledging, but it really may not be, especially depending on, as we've talked about before, the nonverbals, um, depending on the tone or the situation. Are you looking at them when you say it even? Are you still got your back doing some work or on your phone or whatever it might be. So many nonverbals can give such a, an additional context to the, the statement and feel, feel dismissive, even though that may not be the goal. We're talking today about how do we start eliminating some of those? I do want to bring up a thought I've had about how those get ingrained in us. And I don't know it to be a fact. <laughs> it's only personal experience. But uh, I have a four-year-old and I have a one-year-old. And I still do it now with a one-year-old often because when she has a problem, if she's crying or she's upset, she can't verbally relay what it is that's bothering her. She might be able to point to something that hurts if she stubbed her toe or scraped her foot. But if she's hungry or just angry, sometimes it's very difficult to know. And let's think even younger than a one-year-old. Let's just, my friend uh, has a six-week-old and he was telling me, honestly, there's a lot of crying in the house right now. And uh, it made me think we pick that baby up when it's crying and we want to make it feel better. We maybe try a couple things, but almost immediately, many people, including myself, we go right to, it'll be okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm here. Mm -hmm. Anything along those lines. We say those things. Mm -hmm. When they're that little, obviously, they don't quite grasp it. They just, they need that touch and they need to know physically that we're there and they need us to maybe change our diaper or give them a bottle or whatever it might be. But we start with that almost in, um, instinctual reply mm -hmm. to the to the baby that is not going to say to us, you're not listening to me. Like they can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I tend to wonder sometimes if that's where it comes from. It's not that we can't change that behavior and it's not that that behavior can't change. But when the when our little one was under a year and I was doing that, I was thinking about how I don't say that 
to my four-year-old as much as I used to, because now she can relay. So what I'm really trying to say is I think it's almost like we innately start saying that at a very young age, and maybe we forget to get out of it when we can. Well, and it's our natural, it's our natural reaction to want to comfort. And we know it will be okay. We're the logical one in the problem right now. We do know it will be okay. Um, But the one that's having the problem doesn't know that it'll be okay. The one thing that I really loved about what you said when you're, you're picking up that child and trying to create that sense of stability for them is to be able to say, I'm here. Right. Like I'm here. And I think even as adults, we want that feeling of stability when we've gone to someone and something's troubling us or we're upset, we're having a problem. We just want that stability of, Hey, I'm here with you. I'm just, I'm here. Absolutely. So now that we can identify certain things, like it'll be okay. And I don't know if you have any other examples that you wanted to mention of how we kind of potentially dismiss or just step right into, or step right away from, I should say, reflective listening. Um, Any other examples that you have in mind? Well, you actually keyed on like what I want to help listeners understand is that if I'm going to tell you to not say that it's going to be okay, right? And that's what we're, that's what we're telling our listeners. Like, please stop telling people it'll be okay. (laughs) Instead say things like, even to Emmy, even to your little ones, be able to say, you're really upset right now. And then that helps them begin to identify their emotion and what they're dealing with. With adults to be able to say, this seems really upsetting to you. That's all that it takes. Like that actually is giving a sense of reassurance without telling people it'll be okay. Um, So just changing your wording a little bit um, gives people that sense of like, you're listening to me, you're present for me. And now you've given me the um, mental and emotional space to walk through my own problem. Yep. I, I do really like that too. It gives them the opportunity to go further if they want to, um, to identify more feelings or explain why they feel that way. Or maybe say, no, I'm not upset. I'm just a little annoyed. You know, maybe we've taken it too far with our response and they can correct us in a way and just say, no, you know what? I'm just annoyed. It'll be, I know <laughs> they can then say it'll be all right. I mean, maybe it helps them bring them back to a logic and emotion. Bam. Absolutely. Yeah, they come back to that space of like, well, thank you for listening. I now know I'm fine or I know what I'm going to do about this situation. One of the other things um, that is almost instinctual, again, we often talk about listening to understand. We, we want to listen in a way where we can understand the other. That can sometimes easily move into asking a lot of questions mm. about the story, the situation, the problem, the topic, the issue that the other is coming to us with and is talking about. And to kind of help clarify, so one of the things we say is don't ask questions. It is not helpful to ask questions. And it's so intriguing. It kind of goes back to that like sense of like our logic again, where, well, if I just knew some more information about the situation, I could help you solve it. Or if I knew some more information, I could help you understand 
how to figure it out and that it'll be okay. <laughs> in all of that, I'm serving my own need for the information, not the individual's need to be understood in their experience of what's happening to them. That's a really good point. And I think asking questions is definitely something, again, we're talking about ourselves quite a bit, but I know I'll jump into it because it makes me feel like, well, more information will help me identify the problem or move, move forward from the issue. Yeah. And I, um, I think about it with our teens, right? <laughs> like in no real world, are you going to get any additional information from your teen about a problem if they have come to even talk to you about a problem they're having? In no real world, are you going to get more information from them by peppering them and interrogating them with questions? That's a, it's interesting. I'm not there yet with teenagers, but I, I mean, I know how it can kind of be. I didn't go to my parents a lot. And if I did, I didn't really want to be peppered, peppered with questions. I was probably going to give them what I wanted to give them. So have you seen that with your son or any other teens that you've been around where you've seen more benefit out of just listening and giving them space to reveal more, to share more on their own? Oh, my goodness. Yes. And Someday when Aaron listens to all of these podcasts, he'll be annoyed that I've shared all of these stories about his life and his childhood. <laughs> I, I have found that if I just have more like door openers, and we've talked about door openers in other podcasts, but if I just like lead with kind of open-ended kind of curious statements and then employ the silence, he'll fill in all of the gaps of all of the information of what he is comfortable sharing with me. When I lead with, well, who and what and where and when and what about and what were you thinking and have you done this? It usually wraps around to a comment his dad used to say to his mom was, what are you doing writing a book? <laughs> <laughs> are you collecting all of this information to like write it down? And it just shuts the conversation right down. Um, and there have been times where it's been a disciplinary situation where I have led with the questions and the interrogation and Aaron has turned and looked at me and said, if you would just listen to me, you would understand. And it is everything in me as a parent to like take that feedback from my child because instantly, of course, you want to come back with you're disrespectful. I can't believe you said that but he is so spot on. And if I can pause for a moment and take a breath and realize that he's actually asking for what I've taught him to do and then give him that gift of listening, holy cow. He has solved problems that I don't even have to be a part of. He'll come back around and tell me, hey, this, this, and this happened and here's how I resolved it because of how we've been able to walk through issues in the past without me being the interrogator. And as my high tendency of C of the DISC profile, let me tell you, I am good at asking questions. <laughs> so that's something I really had to work on. Well, I'm glad. And it sounds like you guys are building a good relationship then because if he's able to problem solve on his own in certain respects um, and you've given him the guidelines and the you know skills to do that, I mean, as a young adult, you just think how much further he will be um, as a true young adult in his twenties, you know, when he, when he's really faced with more difficult things and even um, 
you know, lots of, lots of things out in the world that he's going to come into contact with and need to know the right way to deal with it and uh, make the right decision. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that affirmation. That is certainly my hope and my soapbox would be as I feel that's the job of parenting. Uh, that's probably another podcast, another conversation. (laughs) (laughs) In our world today, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of issues, a lot of strong protests being uh, held around the world for racial equality around the world and especially in the United States. Some of the tips and things I've seen out there tell people that to really understand what's happening and what this movement is about and what they're looking for is to listen, to take the opportunity to have that hard conversation with a, with a friend about racial equality and what it means to them and how, how we can help. And one of the biggest ways to help, they say, is to sit and listen. And so that would mean maybe it's not peppering them with questions and, and you know, really trying to dig deep into what, what their childhood was like and what it was like for them as a, a young Black adult or a young Black female. And just how did they get through life? I mean, just let them tell their story. Give them the opportunity to have the floor and listen and uh, know that you can empathize with them in many different ways, but it may not be directly the, the same way that what they have been through. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I so appreciate watching you and listening to you like wrestle with and almost stumble through how to really speak the truth of what people really want is to be heard. And people, all of us, all of us have our story. And I, when we talk about listening to understand and we talk about listening with empathy, it, (laughs) empathy requires us. Empathy is being able to take on the perspective of another to see it as they see it, to suspend a judgment, Mm -hmm. like basically keep my opinion thinking I'm right and you're wrong out of the situation, Mm -hmm. identify the feelings of others and communicate that feeling. It's really that simple. But in order to do that, again, I have to set some things aside for me. I actually have to just sit and listen to your story. And that might mean it goes against um, maybe what I think or believe. Um, Your story might be similar or incredibly different than mine. Your story might cause me to want to share my story. Except if we're going to really connect and understand one another, my job first is to give you the floor to share yours. That's some great advice. And there are so many problems out there. Like I, this, all of this weighs upon me. Um, People are hurting. People are struggling with issues. Um, we could, we could spend the entire podcast listing struggles and issues that people are facing that our society is facing. And it really does boil down to if we could just start to listen to one another and hear each other's stories for what they are, 
and stop then saying, well, well, my story then, right? Like, well, let me tell you about my story. We all need to be heard. And I think that's probably why you're seeing protests about all kinds of different things, but in particularly, I feel like people don't feel heard. Right. And so then you get loud. Like, and if we take it back to like interpersonal relationship, we say it is not helpful. It is not helpful to share your story when someone else is sharing a problem with you. So if someone comes to me and is sharing their story about um, struggles in their marriage, it is not helpful for me to be like, well, let me tell you about mine. Right. right? It's not helpful. That person, you just now hijacked that conversation. So if you put that on a societal scale, when people are loudly trying to share their story and you say, well, let me tell you about mine, you're cutting them off and they're just going to get louder because they're not being heard. They're not being heard. I think that's a really great example. And I think uh, social media can be a great balance of what is good and giving people a platform that I can now read and hear more of their stories. But it also can be really negative because you have a lot of comments of people who are doing essentially saying, well, your story is not valid and mine is, or your story is not valid because of my opinion and my judgment. When really all they're trying to do is to be heard, to, to let people know that what they're facing, what they're going through is real, that it does exist. And this is how they feel about it. And we need to listen to how they feel about it. Yes. They want to be heard. Yes, absolutely. Without, without ponying up, without jumping on the bandwagon, without saying, well, yeah, I got a story as well. Right. <laughs> and people feel like it makes sense. Again, all of these, all of these things we're talking about avoiding doing are natural instincts. Like we feel like if I share my story, that's relatable to your story. Now I'm connecting with you. And now we have something to relate about. Yep. I feel like that's okay. When we're like, chatting over coffee or we're hanging out around the campfire or we're in a social situation. But when you've come to me with something you're struggling through an issue you're facing, and then I just kind of like jump on board and then hijack that conversation. And it just so invalidates that person's experience. Sorry. I, I think I get mad about it now that we're talking about it. <laughs> um, because don't be telling me your story. I really don't want to hear about how much bigger your fish was. Like my fish is big enough. Like it's just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have tried to do that. Um, when somebody, somebody actually wrote me that they were pregnant and then I didn't mention anything about us being pregnant until later. And they said, well, why didn't you say it then? I was like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't my space. It was your space right now to, to just tell me about how excited you were and what you were you know, going through. And I just wanted to listen to that and let it be. And um, it wasn't long after that we chatted that I got to tell them what we were going through because they asked, you know, but I didn't come right back because I wanted them to have that time. So I think there's great value to giving people that time that they've come to you to say something, whether it's negative, sad, frustrating, disappointing, or happy, exciting, celebratory. Uh, any any of the above, really, any emotion. If they've come to you to share something, give them the space to to let it be theirs. Yeah, I love that. 
Absolutely. Spot on. And, and, and what a giving thing you're doing by doing that. Um, that's an act of service. That's an act of service that you're doing for that individual. Oh, that makes me so happy. I think I've, well, thank you very much. And maybe I've talked myself up just enough, um, <laughs> truthfully. Because uh, I'll be honest, the wife and I went through a conversation this past uh, week that made me go, you know what, you can do a lot better. And I, and hey, I'm just going to leave that as a teaser for a potential different podcast. Um, because it really made me realize like of the people that are closest to us, we may not always be doing our best. We might not be putting as much effort into it as we maybe should be. And we're putting that effort in other spaces. And therefore those who are closest to us just get enough. And um, the conversation and what we went through an argument and then, you know, talking about it afterwards made me realize, and this is something that I think could be its own podcast made me realize, you know, what are we doing for those that are closest to us compared to those that are not? Where are we putting our biggest amount of energy and where should it be going? So, Well, I feel like um, these skills and these concepts are so needed and we talk about them all the time. And so even you sharing like, hey, I feel like I could be doing better in this area. We're having conversations like this twice a month at the minimum. I teach these skills. I work for the organization that promotes these principles and these skills. And let me tell you, there are days where I am like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. And I, I look at our world, right? So like, if we're immersed in it, here's my point. Like if we're immersed in it and we're still saying we could be doing better, or there's days where I'm like, well, clearly I still need to be working on that. The rest of the world has got to be all that much more hungry for it because they're not always immersed in it. We're immersed in it, Adam. And so anyways, I, this is why I get excited about the work that we do, because when you look at what's happening in the world, you look at social media and the political structures and you see everything that's happening. It's like, I feel like we, we have the answer, right? Like we have the answer. If we could just listen to one another, be empathetic, confront in ways that are effective recognize everything that goes into interpersonal communication, the change has to start with me. I'm not going to change my household or my community or a system until I start to change, until I shine that light on me and go like, oh, wait, there's a bias I didn't realize I had. Oh, there's a belief system that maybe could be challenged. Oh, well, look at how judgmental I was about that. That doesn't sound like empathy. Right. right? I don't pause and say, where, where are those spots in me that need rooting out? How can I expect the world around me to change? Uh, I love that. And you said something in there about change. It begins with me. Um, the, our community listens. I am the message. I mean, both, both of those statements really sums it up in my mind, the idea that uh, we can take the opportunity to make a difference, but we have to make the difference within ourselves first. Yeah, which is, <laughs> I, I have one more concept I want to link to all of this, um, is advice giving. And when someone comes to us with a problem, 
telling them what they should do is really not helping them, which is intriguing based on my passionate plea that I just had about like, I feel like we have the answer. Like we have the answer, it's empathetic listening, it's connection, it's understanding. When we feel like we have the answer for others though, if they haven't come to that understanding first, they're not ready to embrace a change. I could give advice all day long to people, all day long. Like when people call and say, hey, you know, I need your opinion about something. I was like, oh, I am the perfect person for this job. You want my opinion? Let me help with that. (laughs) I could do that all day long. But what's really most helpful is I listen in a way that allows that space, like you talked about, for others to sort through, how am I going to handle this situation? What change do I want to make in me? Maybe there's a change I want to make to the situation, or maybe I want to confront someone else's behavior. And we're going to get to effective confrontation this fall as we move through acceptance and agreement next month and then move into choice and the power of being able to choose our options and then really dive deep into effective confrontation this fall. Um, But the point I'm getting to is if I just tell people what to do all the time, they're never going to be empowered to solve their own problems. They're never going to have those critical thinking skills. Well, never is a strong word, but (laughs) I'm impeding their opportunity to grow. Um, And that's not helpful. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. As always, we like to give our listeners a couple key takeaways so they have something to think about as they finish up the podcast here. My hope for our listeners would that they heard in our conversations around parenting, around relationships, around community, that at the core of it is the helpful thing that we can do is listen. And that in order to do that, there are four things that we need to stop doing. And that's telling people we'll be okay, asking questions to serve our own need, giving others advice, and telling our own story, especially when others are just really seeking to be heard. So when we we look at the opportunity to change me so that then others can go around me, the most helpful thing someone can do is listen. Great advice as always, Sarah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Happy to be here. If you have any suggestions about subjects for our podcast, feel free to reach out through our Facebook page. And if you're interested in taking a class, visit ourcommunitylistens.org. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. And don't forget, each word, each action, each silent moment of listening sends message. Therefore, you are the message.